All right, welcome back. We're taking a different direction today in our series of lectures on the role of Israel in the Bible. Our first week, if you remember, was an introduction to the topic, uh, specifically on the perspicuity of Scripture and the different positions on the millennial kingdom, right? Uh, Is the millennial kingdom a literal or a figurative kingdom? Uh, is, is uh, Is it to be interpreted literally or figuratively? How are we supposed to approach prophecy in the Bible? Is the kingdom of Israel fulfilling God's Old Testament covenants, or has the church replaced Israel since Israel rejected Jesus? Uh, And because we believe that the Bible is plainly understandable, that's what we mean by uh, perspicuous, the perspicuity of the Bible, the understandability of the Bible, uh, we believe it's plainly understandable with a normal, natural approach Uh, Your regular, intelligent reading, just, you know, you don't need a code, you don't need a a, a secret theological uh, underlying assumption or anything, you just read it as it is, and uh, accounting for language and history, we posit that the ethnic people of Israel will be redeemed and given a kingdom, because that's what it says, that's what the text naturally says, that it means what it says. The Old Testament promises were literal, they were not cryptic. Uh, they, they, were not, uh, they were not symbolic or figurative in some way. Uh, they, were, they were saying exactly what they were saying, that, that there would be land promised to the descendants of Abraham, that someone from the line of David would uh, sit on a throne in Jerusalem, in Israel, and Israel would be the, uh, the, the prime nation in the world, you know, above all the other nations. All the other nations would be subdued. All the enemies of Israel would be, uh, would be subdued. Um, and we looked at the, the promises. We looked at all these promises made about Israel, uh, namely the Abrahamic covenant, the Mosaic covenant, the Davidic covenant, and the new covenant. Uh, we looked at all that stuff. But um, let's pretend. Let's pretend that we've been misinterpreting the Old Testament all along. Maybe the Jews read it and saw it differently, right? What happens? If, if we look at the New Testament, uh, and uh, let's just throw away everything we thought about, uh, about all those Old Testament uh, promises and stuff. Like we just, you know, let, let's say we got it wrong or we didn't know what we were talking about and stuff. Let's just put that away. And if we just look at the New Testament and we pay attention to how the Jews in Jesus's time talked about the kingdom, uh, it'll show us what they believed, right? It'll tell us their theology about the kingdom of God. And that's kind of what we're going to do. What did the Jews believe about the future? What did the Jews believe about the promises and the covenants? What did they believe? And uh, before we even look at the text, I just want to give you a sum up of Jewish eschatology. Um, you, can, you can look in, in books, uh, different books about it. Uh, I, I don't think you're going to take the time to read them, but uh, there's a book by Emil uh, Schurer, and uh, he talks about Jewish eschatology. He kind of outlines it really nicely. And the end times, according to the Jews... Uh, oftentimes connected to the term the day of the Lord in the Old Testament. But uh, it kind of goes like this, and I'll give it to you in 13 uh, little items on a list. Um, Austin will put it up on the, on the slides uh, as we're going. But first is uh, they, they understood that there was a great tribulation, right? That uh, they believe the end times begins with a short time of severe trouble for Israel, and then second was great repentance, where uh, during this time, Israel would repent and return to worshiping God. Like this is the, the, the big salvation moment. They, come, they become Christians. Uh, third is the arrival of a herald. Uh, they believe that one like Elijah would come to herald the Messiah. Fourth, uh, that by the way, that did happen with John the Baptist and there will be witnesses also in the tribulation that they'll be walking around. Uh, the arrival of uh, Messiah was fourth where uh, Messiah would come. He would be a descendant of David. He would be a, um, a biological descendant of King David. Fifth would be a world war. 
where the nations of the world will join together to fight against Messiah as a singular force. They stop quarreling with each other and stuff, and they just they band together to fight against uh, against Messiah. All the nations of the world, because they're all uh, they're all unbelieving. Uh, sixth would be the world gathering, where the Messiah will gather all the dispersed Jews throughout the world and gather them into the land. They'll be in the promised land. So if if there are Jews like stuck on this other continent, he just he'll he'll gather them up. It'll, they'll be instantly transported. Seventh would be a restored kingdom. Uh, the restored kingdom is uh, the Messiah will set up his kingdom in Israel, uh, its capital being Jerusalem, and he'll fulfill the promises to Abraham and David, meaning the land, the kingdom. The, the throne, right? All of that would be, uh, would be fulfilled. That's the restored kingdom. Then eighth would be the restored temple, uh, which means that the temple in Jerusalem would be rebuilt. That's talked about in Ezekiel 40, all the way to 48. Uh, the worship at the temple is restored. They're, they're doing their, uh, the, Jewish, um, the Jewish sacrifices are, are, are happening again, uh, at, uh, but they would take on a whole different meaning since they, they know that Jesus has uh, atoned for sin and stuff. And so whatever they're doing at the uh, temple at the worship, it, it would be altered in some way. Uh, ninth would be restored bodies. Uh, they, be, they believed, the Jews believed that uh, there would be a general resurrection, talked about in Daniel chapter 12, uh, a general resurrection to eternal life or eternal punishment, one or the other, depending on whether or not you, uh, you belong to Yahweh God or not. Uh, tenth would be global peace. Uh, that's where Messiah's kingdom will cover the whole earth and all the nations would be subdued under Israel. There'd be no more war. Uh, Eleven would be global renovation. Uh, that means that the earth would be renovated. You know, the mountains would be brought low, the, the valleys would be raised up, and, you know, the, the, the topography of the land would be completely different. Um, and even predators would be tame. You kind of get remarks about this in uh, Isaiah 11, verse 6. And uh, Isaiah 65, verse 25, where like the wolf will lie down with the lamb and, and everyone will be safe and stuff. Twelfth would be global prosperity. There will be joy, gladness, health, prosperity in the world. Everything will flourish under the rule of Messiah, of Jesus. Uh, Thirteen would be uh, global religion. All the nations would worship Messiah. That is the one religion in the world. There, there would be unbelievers in the world. Um, but no one, no individuals would w- resist him. You know, the, the, the world would run for a thousand years um, where, uh, where everyone, all the nations are worshiping Messiah. Um, but uh, I, I shouldn't say thousand years. They, the Jews didn't believe it in a thousand year time period. They didn't have that because that only shows up in Revelation. They didn't have the New Testament. Well, that's, that's the Jewish eschatology. If you look at Jew, Jews today, Judaism today, that's their eschatology. That's their theology of the end times. And the Jews believed exactly what the Bible teaches. They understood the Bible using normal, natural, regular, intelligent reasoning. Just that you read it and it means what it says. When the Old Testament was written, that's what they read. That's what they understood. That's what they believed. It's very simple that way. When Jesus was walking on the earth centuries later, nothing had changed. They still read it that way. They still understood it that way. They still believed it that way. And that's kind of what I want to show you. Right, that uh, now that we've looked at the promises of the Old Testament, namely the the Abrahamic, Mosaic, Davidic, New Covenants, we, we looked at the promises of the Old Testament to see the future of Israel. Well, now let's take a different direction and examine the people of the New Testament and see what they believe about the future of Israel. Right? If you're taking notes, um, we're asking what did the people of the New Testament believe? 
namely the priests, the Pharisees, Jesus, and the apostles. Right? What did they believe? The priests, the Pharisees, Jesus, and the apostles. Well, let's start with the priests. What did the priests believe? Uh, and we'll look at Luke chapter 1. It's a passage about Zechariah, a guy who's over 80 years old, and uh, he's just been told that he'll be a father. He's going to have a son. That son is going to grow up to become John the Baptist, right? Uh, so he's told that he's going to be a son. Uh, he's going to have a son, and his son will be a forerunner. He'd be the herald to the Messiah. So Luke chapter 1, verse 67, right after Zechariah receives the news, it says, And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. Now, I want you to notice, okay? Uh, Zechariah just found out he's having a son who's going to be herald to the Messiah, which means that the Messiah is now on the way. And so his first reaction, the first thing he acknowledges is that Messiah is going to come. And when Messiah comes, he's going to save. He's going to reign from the house of David. Right? Do you notice he has this very literal Old Testament understanding that he's going to save the people of Israel and he's, he's going to come from the house of David. So he believed that literally from the Old Testament. Verse 70. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. Right? Do you notice what Zechariah said? He said, uh, this, is what, uh, this is what Messiah would do for Israel. He will defeat their enemies. He'll set Israel on top of all the other nations of the world. Right? That's, uh, that's what he, he believes. That's in his theology, and it's the literal understanding of the Old Testament promises. Instead of being abused and hated and, and targeted and oppressed and, and persecuted, the people of Israel would instead, uh, they'd rise to a time of glory because the Messiah would take them there, right? They wouldn't achieve it on their own and, and conquer the, the globe and then establish a, a, uh, their religion as the, the dominant religion of the world. It wouldn't be that, right? That, that, that's that's post-millennialism, and that's not ex- at all what they thought. Uh, they knew the Messiah would come and establish it, right? They believed that, that the Messiah would come before establishing the kingdom. That's premillennialism. All right, 72, verse 72. It says, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. Now, this is a priest speaking, right? This is Zechariah. He's a priest. He's trained in the scriptures. He teaches the scriptures. And, uh, and his career is in ministry. That's his, that's his whole life. And he knew the Old Testament promises were literal. He expected uh, that when Messiah came, it would be to fulfill the promises to Israel's forefathers, right? Abraham and David, and etc. right? Uh, as a trained priest, who's working in the temple at the time, Zechariah believed Messiah would come, fulfill the promise to redeem uh, the nation of Israel. He would bring salvation to the Jews. Uh, He's from the line of David. He will put Israel over all the nations. He will end Israel's enemies. He will keep his promise to Abraham. He will grant holiness and righteousness to people in a kingdom on the earth. All All of that is exactly what the Bible says if you read it with normal 
natural interpretation. And then he speaks to the son, right? He, he, he talks about uh, his child, John, John the Baptist, um, uh, verse 76. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Now, uh, I know that's a lot of words, but note how Zechariah believes Messiah will give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death. That's Israel, right? He wasn't thinking about the Gentiles. He said to guide our feet into the way of peace, right? He knew that Messiah would save Israel. That, that, even J- Jesus said that I came for the lost sheep of Israel, Right, so, uh, so there's this sense of, of understanding that, uh, that Zechariah had, that Messiah was here for Israel. He's here to guide our feet, and we were in darkness, the shadow of death. So he knew Israel would be at some point in rebellion, and that Messiah would come and bring the people back. Of course, uh, Zechariah would have expected, as all the Jews did, that the Messiah would do all of that at his first arrival. Right, the Jews thought, when the Messiah comes, that's what he's going to do. They did not expect that Jesus would come, die on a cross, and then promise to return and complete the work, right? They, they didn't expect that. That was the complete surprise. Uh, the fact that, that Jesus didn't do all of that at his first arrival is, the, is one of the reasons why the Jews didn't believe in him, right? It, uh, it doesn't mean he won't do it, Jesus claimed to be Messiah, claimed to save the lost, promised he would return, and when he returns, there will be salvation for Israel and fulfillment of the Abrahamic and Davidic and new covenants. All of that's going to happen. Uh, it just hasn't happened yet. And that's something that Jesus has been very clear about, that when I come back, then I'm going to finish all, uh, all of that work, right? The, the work that he finished on the cross, when he said that it is finished, he's talking about the work of redemption, of saving people. Right? But there are still prophecies that need to be fulfilled, which is why we have the book of Revelation anyway. There are still prophecies left to be fulfilled. All right, well, that's uh, an insight that you get on the priests, right? Zechariah is a priest. The, uh, the priesthood believed in a literal interpretation of the Old Testament. What about the Pharisees? Right? What did the Pharisees believe? Because the Pharisees were the most rigorously trained students of Scripture, assisted by the scribes. They... they uh, they, they had the, uh, the most difficult and most replete kind of training to know the scriptures. They had to literally know it backwards and forwards. Um, in uh, Luke 17, there's this conversation where they're questioning Jesus. And I, I want you to see it. Luke 17, verse 20. Let's look at what the Pharisees believe. It says in, in Luke 17, verse 20, being asked by the Pharisees, when the kingdom of God would come, and we'll stop there in the middle of the sentence, Right? The, the Pharisees are asking Jesus, they're questioning him, uh, and uh, you know, the, they know the, the scripture the best. They believed a real kingdom was coming for Israel. Right? That's why they're asking. They're asking when the kingdom of God would come. Because they believed a real kingdom was going to be given to Israel. That Israel would be restored into a real kingdom. At the time, they were not a kingdom. Right, they they were owned by uh, by the Roman Empire. They were uh, they were in, uh, they were oppressed. They were uh, they were under uh, a foreign power, so they weren't a kingdom. They didn't have a king. They had a high priest running their religion, but uh, they didn't have a king. So uh, they're asking, uh, 
you know, when the kingdom of, of God would come. And Jesus is going to answer. And the way that Jesus answers is going to sound like an all-millennialist dream come true, okay? Look at uh, the rest of verse 20. It says, the king, Jesus answers. He goes, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is, or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. The kingdom of God is in the midst of you. Now, Jesus doesn't say that the kingdom can't be observed. He says that the way that the kingdom arrives, the coming of the kingdom, can't be observed. So there's something interesting there. Uh, When Jesus returns, his return will be sudden. Uh, There won't be spectacular cosmic signs. He'll arrive in the clouds with glory and stuff. So there won't be be things to, to tell us uh, the moment he'll come back, okay? Um, so you won't be able to see him returning. And not only that, but um, when he says, like, you're not going to be able to observe the coming of the kingdom, what does he mean by that, right? Because you're not going to be able to observe the, the coming of the king until it's too late. He's already arrived, right? But what about the coming of the kingdom? Jesus' response in verse 21 uh, makes, uh, is what kind of fuels the amillennialist uh, theology. Amillennialism, just to remind you, says that uh, when Jesus returns, he's not going to establish this thousand-year kingdom. There is no millennial kingdom. Amillennial, right? The A, the alpha privative, is, uh, it means not, right? Like atheist, not a theist, right? So um, when, when it says uh, amillennial, they say it's, there's not a millennial kingdom. That, that's not a thing. You know, it says that in Revelation 20. That's just figurative to talk about the church age. It's not a real kingdom. It's not for Israel. It's not going to be a thousand years. That's just, it's fairy tale talk. And they say, this is the kingdom. We're in the kingdom right now because Jesus says that the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. The kingdom of God is in the midst of you. So they say, that's why you can't see it. It's in our midst. We, the church, are the kingdom. Right? He's telling the Pharisees, ah, you can't see the kingdom coming because, uh, because I got these 12 disciples. You don't even know they belong to me. They look just like you. They don't wear uniforms. You know? they, um, they, don't, they don't have any visible indication for you to be able to distinguish with your eye. Aha, uh-huh. that guy belongs to the kingdom. Right? There's, there's nothing that you can't see it coming. And so the Amillennials say that that's, that shows you that uh, there's not going to be a, a thousand-year kingdom that you can see and all that kind of stuff. So I, I want to deal with that. I want to unpack what Jesus is saying here, okay? We're going we're gonna to take a little bit of a, a segue here where uh, I want to explain real quick what, what the Pharisees are going to talk about. Um, you know, actually, right before I do that, I'm going to read one more passage for you um, real quick just so that you can balance this in your brain too. Uh, another moment where the Pharisees uh, are are talking with Jesus and they expect a literal physical kingdom. Let me show you just one more passage. Luke 19, verse 11. It says, as they heard these things, uh, he proceeded to tell a parable because he, Jesus, he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. Okay, this is what the people, his disciples, this is what, uh, what his followers, the crowds, the Pharisees, this is what everybody thought was going to happen. The, uh, all these rumors about Jesus being Messiah, and he's near Jerusalem, which is capital city, where all the Pharisees are. And so he's, uh, he's near by all this, this, uh, this excitement. Everyone's like, Jesus, I heard he's the Messiah. He's going to bring the kingdom. He's going to bring the kingdom. And they supposed that the kingdom of God was going to appear immediately. It was just going to Ta-da! And then the, the kingdom is there, right? Uh, and so, what, you know, what did the Pharisees believe? They, they believed that the Messiah was going to bring a kingdom. That's what the crowds believed. 
That's what everyone was believing, right? So let's deal with this thing that Jesus talked about. You know, he's like, you can't see the kingdom coming. The kingdom of God is in the midst of you, right? What did he mean by that? Um, the kingdom of God is dealt with a lot in, in, in the New Testament, in the Gospels, okay? It's, it's called the kingdom of God, or if you're in the book of Matthew, he calls it the kingdom of heaven, but it's the same thing. Kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, it, that, that terminology still relates to the same thing, okay? Um, the kingdom of God, that, that term, either kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven, um, really has three different applications in scripture, three, three different uh, applied meanings in scripture, all right? The first is, um, you know, we're going to organize it into three, three words, the, the, the three definitions, his right, his reign, and his realm. Okay, his right, his reign, R-E-I-G-N, his right, his reign, and his realm. Okay, so let's start with the first. Um, it's, it's his right. Uh, the kingdom of God is, uh, is a way of just talking about how the sovereign God is ruler of all the universe. He's the creator. It is his right to rule it. Let me show you two verses. Psalm 103, verse 9. It says, the Lord, L-O-R-D, uh, capital letters, Yahweh, has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. Right? Like he has authority over everything. So there's this general sense that God just has authority over everything. It's his kingdom. He has the right to, to call the shots. He's in charge. Uh, Daniel chapter four, verse three also says his kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion endures from generation to generation. It basically says God's in charge of everything, right? He has the right to rule everything. He is the rightful Lord of all creation. So in one sense, the kingdom is this very general term that God made everything. So God is in charge of everything. That's his right. Now, that's the most general definition. That's the Old Testament. Uh, a lot of the Old Testament usage uh, kind of refers back onto that level of meaning. When we get to a more narrow meaning, uh, let's look into some of the moments in the New Testament. The kingdom of God specifically refers to the spiritual reign of God over the lives of people who follow him, believe in him, willingly submit to him, love him, worship him, right? Uh, that means that he rules over them. Like they do what he says. He says, do this and they do it, right? He, it's his reign. It's his rulership. Um, in fact, the, the word kingdom, basileia in the Greek means rulership or reign. It's, it, that's exactly what it means. Uh, that's why Jesus will refer to the kingdom as something that's non-physical, right? It's, uh, it's about, uh, it, it's not about, uh, you know, like when you think of kingdom, you might think of very physical imagery, castles, men in armor on horses, Right? But that's not uh, what Jesus is talking about when he talks about a kingdom. Right? When he thinks about a kingdom, he's talking about people who, who swear allegiance to the king. People who are loyal to the king. Who are willingly uh, followers of the king. So let me show you the verses. John chapter 18, verse 36. Uh, Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Right? See how he's, he's saying that like my kingdom's not like one of your kingdoms. Your kingdoms, you have your, your national borders, you could see it and all that stuff, but mine is not like that. Mine is people who are loyal to me. You can't, you can't really see that happening. And my kingdom is not men in armor on horses, military and all that kind of stuff. Uh, it, it, my people aren't going to fight to defend me. They're going to they're gonna just obey what I tell them to do. 
They're either going to live the way that I tell them to, right? Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Right? The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And uh, what does he mean by that? It means the rulership of God. So repent. Turn away from your sins. The, the, king, the rulership of God is at hand, right? So like now you can turn and follow him. Uh, do everything that he really uh, is, is pointing you to do, which is place your trust in Messiah, in Jesus. Right? It's not just do all these laws of the Old Testament. That's not going to get you saved. Right? Repent of your sins and then trust in Jesus. Just follow after him. Then you're part of that kingdom, right? Where your heart belongs to him. First uh, Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. It says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? The unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. And that's, uh, that's again, it shows you that uh, those who are righteous um, in God's sight, because, you know, Jesus paid for their sins and imputed his righteousness to them, right? He switched criminal records. His perfect record is given to a sinner and their sinful record is given to Jesus and he dies on the cross for it. Well, now you're righteous in God's sight, right? And so the righteous are part of the kingdom. That's what the kingdom is. It's the, it's the righteous, the people filled with Christ's righteousness. And then the unrighteous people, even though they're part of creation and God's kingdom is all of creation because he's creator and stuff, that's the general sense. But in, uh, the, the unrighteous people are not part of this definition of the kingdom, right? This definition of the kingdom is people who swear allegiance to Jesus. And the unrighteous don't do that. So, uh, so the first definition, the, the kingdom, is the general sense of God being Lord of all creation. The second definition is the kingdom is the collection of people who just trust in Jesus, who swear allegiance to, to God, right? And then uh, the third definition um, is the, uh, of the kingdom of God is the final form of this kingdom, the visible, manifest, physical realm of Christ, right? The first one is the rule, then the reign, and then the realm. This is the physical realm of Christ on the earth during the millennium, the, the Revelation 20. See, because the kingdom of God is all the people, all, you know, like for instance, Christians, we're all part of the, the kingdom, okay? Uh, that's part of the kingdom. That's the collection of people. And uh, eventually, we'll be given uh, land, and the temple will be there, and there'll be a throne, and all that kind of stuff, eventually. But that's not the stuff that defines the kingdom. The, the thing that defines the kingdom is God reigning in our hearts, Jesus reigning over our hearts. That's really the definition. The final form of the kingdom is the manifest part. That's the, you know, that's, that's the visible stuff. So Daniel chapter 2, verse 44 mentions this. It says uh, in Daniel chapter 2, verse 44, And in, those days, in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom. He will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. Right? The natural reading of that says that God will set up a kingdom. It's not cryptic. It's not, it's not some kind of weird, you know, uh, difficult to understand language. It's not that. It, what will God do? He's going to set up a kingdom. That kingdom will never be destroyed. It's not going to be abandoned. It's not going to go out of business or anything. It's not going to be left to another people. It, uh, it's, it's not going to fail. It's going to break all these other kingdoms. It's going to bring them to an end. It shall stand forever. All of that can be literally understood. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 14 says, Keep the commandment, uh, end of the verse, says, Until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time, 
he who is the blessed and only sovereign, the king of kings and lord of lords. Right? When, when uh, Jesus arrives, he's going to, at the proper time, he's, he's, he's going to arrive. Uh, he is the sovereign. He's the king of kings. He's the lord of lords. And that's, that's what they expect, right? Uh, that he's going to come and he's going to be king. That's exactly what they expected. So very simply, when you speak about God's kingdom in the past, like in the Old Testament, it meant God's sovereign, uh, his sovereign right to, to rule over the universe. Um, in the New Testament, it means God's reign over his people, you know, the people over whose hearts uh, he reigns, right? And then in the future, it means his, uh, his physical realm when it, be- when it becomes manifest as a physical political kingdom and stuff. Now, even without the 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 land and without the throne and stuff it's still a kingdom so it's not defined by the physical stuff the physical stuff is icing on the cake all right so getting back to the pharisees uh in luke chapter 17 right we're done with our little segue there um getting back to the pharisees in luke 17 jesus said you can't see the kingdom coming it's already in the midst of you and he says that because the kingdom begins with people being saved people repenting people worshiping jesus right? It, uh, it, the kingdom is the reign of Jesus in people's hearts. And that, you can't see that. You can't look around and see that. It's not like we all go two by two dressed in white button-ups knocking on your door. Like, there's, there's no visible indication of, of, of who's a Christian. Just because someone wears a cross necklace doesn't mean they're a Christian, right? There's nothing visible. It's the way that they live and stuff, and uh, it's the, the authority of God over their hearts. That's, that's who's part of the kingdom, there's no tattoo, there's no, there's no distinguishing marks or anything like that. Uh, and so here's, uh, here's Jesus, he's saying, you can't see the kingdom coming. It's moving, it's in the midst of us, and it's already spreading in the world because people are turning to the gospel. People are believing in Jesus as Messiah. And so the kingdom is in our midst. Now someday that kingdom will be crowned with land and you know all that stuff, it'll get that. But the, the kingdom really at its essence is not about the physical stuff. The kingdom is about the spiritual relationship, right? Um, so in that sense, you can't see the kingdom coming, but someday those people do receive the physical features of a kingdom. All right, well, the Pharisees expected the Messiah to bring the kingdom immediately, right? Isn't that what it said in, in Luke 19, right? It said that uh, people believed that, that uh, the kingdom was going to come immediately, but that's the thing, right? Jesus isn't going to bring the physical features of the kingdom immediately. He's not going to bring the land and the, and the, the throne and all that stuff immediately. Not, not yet. Why? Because the gospel has to go out first. It has to cover all the nations, right? You have to make disciples of all nations. Uh, the, the, the full number of the elect have to be brought in. All the number of the Gentiles and all that stuff, they all have to be brought in. The spiritual relationships have to form. The spiritual features of the kingdom have to exist because that's what the kingdom really is. And then the physical features of the kingdom will be given, right? Then those who worship Jesus, meaning then those who are part of the spiritual kingdom will receive the physical benefits and the physical features that come with being a kingdom. All right, all that to address uh, that, the idea that the Pharisees believed in a kingdom. They believed in the physical features of a kingdom, the literal kingdom, right? So did the priests, the priests and the Pharisees believed in a literal kingdom, a physical kingdom, which will eventually be true. What did Jesus believe? 
Uh, this, this is kind of the most important question, I suppose, right? Um, what did Jesus believe? And then what did he teach his apostles? And we'll, we'll get to what did the apostles believe? But what did Jesus believe? Because um, if Jesus has an opinion on this, then maybe his opinion is, is uh, more important than what the priests and the Pharisees think. So at least we get a sense that uh, the setting that Jesus is in is dominated by the religious leaders, the priests and the, the Pharisees, and they believe in a literal interpretation of the Old Testament covenants. They believe that there will be a kingdom and Israel will, will be that kingdom, right? Did Jesus agree with that? Because if he didn't, he should say something, right? He went toe-to-toe with theology that he didn't agree with. He told the Sadducees, like, you don't even believe in the resurrection. What's wrong with you, right? He, uh, he, was, he was good about, uh, about correcting theology that went off track. So if they're that wrong about the finish line, about where everything's going to end up, he's going he's to course correct, is he not? I mean, they were wrong about how to get to heaven, so he corrected that. And he said, oh, you don't get to heaven by trusting in the law. You get to heaven by trusting in Messiah, by trusting in Jesus. So he corrected that. If they're wrong about the kingdom, he's going to correct that, don't you think? Well, the best place to look to see what Jesus believed about the kingdom is in Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. And I want you to know that Acts chapter 1 happens after all four gospels. You know, they all tell about the, uh, the ministry of Jesus for three years, and then he, it ends with his crucifixion and his resurrection. All of that has taken place, okay? He has been, uh, he's been arrested, tortured, and, uh, and put on trial, and, and, you know, and all that stuff. He was condemned. He was crucified. He was buried. And then he, uh, he was raised back to life. And now, here he is in his resurrected form. So, chronologically, at this point, at this juncture, the nation of Israel, the people of Israel, the leadership of Israel, has already apostatized. They've already turned away. They've already rejected the Messiah. They have committed to their unbelief. Right? And they've killed him for it. They murdered him because they didn't believe in him. So, this is even after Jesus said in Luke 13, 35, I'll show it to you. Luke 13, 35. Uh, he says, behold, your house is forsaken. And I tell you, you will not see me until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Right? This is like Jesus had said that in, in Luke and uh, he was going to be crucified. And he's like, okay, Israel, you're done. Your house is forsaken, right? You're done. I, I'm done with you. I tell you, you will not see me until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So uh, here's Jesus foretelling of what will happen. And he doesn't say, uh, you will not see me unless you believe. He says, you will not see me until you believe. And he's foretelling. He's saying someday in the future, apostate Israel, unbelieving Israel, will turn and believe, and they will bless his name. Right? They've rejected Jesus so far. They've crucified Jesus so far. And they've even tried to cover it up and, and you know, create uh, fake reports about his resurrection and stuff. But Jesus says, well, you guys are done, uh, and you will not see me until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So we're in Acts chapter one, though. This is after Jesus has been betrayed by Israel, rejected by Israel, killed by Israel. 
after he pronounced judgment on them like that. Look at Acts chapter 1, verse 3. It says, uh, Jesus, he presented himself alive to them, to the disciples. He presented himself alive to the disciples after his suffering by many proofs, right? He had to prove to them, like, hey, it's me. Look, it's me. And he has to show them his hands inside and all that stuff. Uh, he, He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So, after Jesus resurrected, he was on the earth for 40 more days with his disciples. He's, he's talking to them. He's, he's teaching them. And after the 40 days, he's going to ascend into heaven. That happens here in this chapter, but we're not, that's not important for us right now. Uh, he's with them for 40 days, and for, for those 40 days, he's teaching them, right? And remember, Israel has already re- rejected him. Israel has already murdered him. Uh, he's pronounced judgment on Israel. He even said uh, Jerusalem is going to be sieged. He talks about that in Luke 19, verses 41 to 44. But uh, during these 40 days, uh, what is Jesus speaking to his disciples about? For 40 days, he's teaching them about the kingdom of God. That's what it says, right? Speaking about the kingdom of God. That's what it says. So for 40 days, he's talking to them about this subject. He has, uh, he has been showing them uh, what his intent is and, and what the scriptures meant and all that stuff. And he's explaining it all to them. So for 40 days, that's what he taught them about. He's been rejected. He's been crucified by Israel. He pronounced judgment on Israel. And then look at verse six right here. Verse six. Uh, so when they had come together, the disciples with Jesus, when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Do you understand the significance of that question? They just had 40 days of teaching on the kingdom of God, and they ask that. That's their question. Is it, is it time? Now is it time that you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Because what has Jesus been teaching them for 40 days? That he's going to? Restore the kingdom to Israel, right? That Israel will be restored and will have a kingdom. And they're like, okay, so is it now? They didn't ask, uh, hey, Jesus, why did you cancel the promise of the kingdom? They didn't ask that. They didn't ask, Jesus, why is the kingdom not for Israel anymore? They didn't ask that. The one question they ask is, okay, Lord, so is it, is it time now? Is now the time you're going to save and redeem and restore Israel? And that means that during those 40 days, Jesus has been telling them that he's going to save, he's going to redeem, he's going to restore Israel to be a kingdom. And he told them that God would fulfill all that was promised to Abraham, to David. There would be a kingdom, a throne, a ruler, Israel forever. And their only question was when? Now? They're specifically asking when he'll restore the kingdom to Israel. And just to be technical, uh, the, that word restore in verse 6, is a, that's a theological term used by Jews in their eschatology about physically giving a kingdom to Israel. Verse 7. Watch what Jesus answers, okay? Because uh, here's, here's where Jesus should, like... It, it, what do you think Jesus is going to say? What do you think he's going to say, right? Uh, is he going to say, you idiots? 
All that stuff was figurative. I've been telling you for 40 days, there's no kingdom coming. Stop asking me that. Isn't, isn't now the time for him to say that? Verse 7, Jesus said to them, It's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. Hmm. Right? I mean, Jesus doesn't say, no, no, no. Israel will not be restored. You dummies, it's not for Israel. Israel's replaced by the church. He doesn't say that. Instead, Jesus says, uh, let's see, is it time to make Israel into a kingdom again? Well, you don't know when. And you're not supposed to know when. Only God does. Right? They go, is, is now the time when you're going to give a kingdom to Israel? And he's like, yeah, you're not allowed to know when. What does that answer tell you? It means he's going to do it. We just don't know when. Right? If they were wrong, if, if the presumption of their question is wrong, he, he would have corrected that. If Jesus were an all-millennialist, if he thought there's no, there's no kingdom, you know, Israel will not be restored. If he were an all-millennialist, now would be the time for him to, to let his disciples know. Right? He should say, oh, come on, you guys. Weren't you listening for the past 40 days? There's no kingdom. It's canceled. There, there's no more Israel. Israel's off the, off the, you know, the plan. It, it, they're not in anymore. It's, it's, it's the church. The Gentiles are welcome. Now, I'm not going to give the Jews the land I promised Abraham. They, they forfeited it. They crucified me. I'm, I'm done with them. He could say that. If Jesus were post-millennial, he could say, I'm not going to make a kingdom. You will. Right? I'm not supposed to restore a kingdom to Israel. You're supposed to do that. The church is supposed to cover the globe and just kind of establish Christianity as the dominant religion. And then when you do that and you prepare the world to be all Christian, then I'll show up after the kingdom is all established. Right? He could say that. But he doesn't. That's not his answer. Instead, uh, the disciples listened to Jesus for 40 days and they walked away with two huge truths. First is that Israel would someday be restored and made into a kingdom. Literal understanding of the Old Testament. Second is that Jesus would be the one to actually do it. Messiah would do it. Jesus affirms both of these. This was Jesus' moment to clarify all their eschatology. Right? This is where he could be like, hey, 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 you've been misunderstanding. He could totally uh, make sure that he could fix everything. This is when he could say that the Abrahamic, Davidic, and New Covenants were figurative. Stop thinking they're literal. This is where he could say that the church will come and the church will receive all that was promised to Israel. This is where he could say all the promises were really just spiritual promises, not physical promises. God changed it. This is where he could say Israel could have received the promises if they just believed in him, but instead they forfeited it. He could have said all that, but instead Jesus says, relax. Just, you don't get to know when Israel gets a kingdom. God decides when it will happen. Just you sit back, let God take care of it. God promised it, it will happen in God's time. He fixed it by his own authority, right? He set a time. You're not allowed to know, but, but it is fixed. It is set. Now consider too that Jesus came to the earth to die on a cross, yes? He came to die on the cross. And uh, would you agree that God 
foreknew this. He knew ahead of time that Jesus was going to die on a cross. He planned it before creation began. Like the, the, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ in order to save sinners, that was in the plan of God long ago. I mean, you see it show up in Genesis 3 when he's talking to Adam and Eve after they sinned, right? He's like, Messiah's going to crush Satan, right? So if God knew that Israel would reject Messiah, Israel would arrest Messiah, you know, put him on trial, torture him, mock him, ridicule him, uh, betray him, reject him, crucify him, kill him, bury him, and try to make him go away. If he he knew that Israel was going to reject Messiah, what would be the point of making all these promises that he's not going to keep to them? What would be the point of promising all this stuff and then going, ah, you forfeited it? How would they forfeit it? God authored history. You know, God, uh, God knew everything that would happen. Why would he make these promises and be like, but later on, they're going to forfeit it. Why would he promise Abraham all this stuff? Promise David all this stuff without conditions, without any remark about forfeiting or canceling or transferring it to a different group of people? Why would he promise all this stuff and then, and then just be like, oh, you, you forfeited it because of what you did? The, the crucifixion was the plan of God. That was something that God knew from before time began. He, he had this in mind. He had the, uh, the, the history of the world. He saw it happen. Everyone gets to choose their course, fine. But, uh, but he, he sovereignly has planned his way. Remember when, uh, when Jesus was, uh, after Jesus uh, resurrected, he's in, in Luke 24, he's walking with two disciples and he's in like stealth mode. Like they don't know who he is. They don't, they don't, they don't know it's Jesus. Okay, but he's just kind of walking with them. He's talking with them. Uh, and uh, he's talking about, uh, about like uh, what, the, you know, what the scriptures are talking about and stuff. He says, I'll just read it to you. Luke 24, verse 25. And Jesus uh, said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? What he's saying is the Old Testament promised Jesus' suffering and his crucifixion. It, it predicted it. It predicted his suffering, his crucifixion. It, he, he says it plainly. In Luke 18.31, also in Matthew 20, in Mark 10. He says it also over the place. It's described even in Psalm 22, Isaiah 53, the sacrificial system, uh, Zechariah 12, verse 10. It's, it, it's everywhere. Jesus, uh, Jesus was supposed to be crucified. The Messiah was supposed to be crucified. That was the plan of God. Israel's rejection of the Messiah was part of God's plan. The cross was part of God's plan. The church was part of God's plan. Israel's rejecting Jesus, Jesus' death on the cross, the gospel going out and establishing the church, all of that was part of God's plan. And so is the restoration of Israel. The restoration of Israel, the, uh, the, the saving, the redeeming of Israel and turning it into a kingdom, giving it land, fulfilling all those promises, that's also part of the plan. And God has kept every other part He's fulfilled it all. He'll fulfill this part too. Uh, in, in that same chapter, Luke 24, verse 44, then Jesus said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Everything has to be fulfilled. Everything. Every promise 
to Israel has to be fulfilled. You know that they have to be fulfilled. You, you know that God has to keep his promises. He is a promise-keeping God. He is faithful. He is infinitely faithful. Perfectly faithful. You know what was never promised? It's never promised to cancel the kingdom. It's never promised that Israel will forfeit anything. It's never promised that the, uh, the, the stuff that God was going to give Israel would be transferred over to the church. Not one verse says that. Not one. Everything has to be fulfilled. All God's covenant promises, which are about the Messiah, there's going to be a land, a kingdom, a throne, and the Messiah is going to sit on that throne. It's going to be in Jerusalem, in Israel, over all the other nations. It has to be fulfilled. And it will. So Jesus was not an amillennialist. Jesus was not a postmillennialist. Jesus believed that when he returns, he will establish a kingdom. It's not for us to know when, but God has the time fixed in his mind. Jesus was premillennial. I told you I'd get to the apostles too, but I am out of time. So we're going to do that again, and we'll cover the apostles next time. The priests believe in, uh, in a literal kingdom. Pharisees believe in a literal kingdom. Jesus believed in a literal kingdom. We believe in a literal kingdom. That Israel will be redeemed. Jesus will, will reign. We'll be there too. Because the church, we get the awesome privilege of being grafted in. You know, free gift. And God will keep all his covenant promises because everything has to be fulfilled. Amen? Let's pray. God, thank you again for just uh, showing us that the Bible is understandable. Uh, we don't have to come in with some theological framework to uh, decode what it means. We just can just read it. We can just read it, and it means what it says. We take into account the way that the language works, and we take into account the historical setting and context. And by that grammatical historical approach, we can then discover what the original author was saying to the original audience in its original context, and therein lies its meaning. Just the way we understand anything that we read. And so we pray, God, that you would keep uh, sharpening us and reminding us and blessing us with the truth that your word is knowable, understandable, and that means that your promises will be fulfilled. You're not somehow like bait and switching it on Israel. You're not, you're not misleading us to think one thing, but then surprise, it's another. No, when you, when you promised to Abraham that you'd give him land and, and uh, set him over the nations, you meant it. When you told David that uh, Messiah would come from him and rule on a throne in that kingdom in Jerusalem over all the other nations, you meant it, and it will come true. And so we look forward to the day that Jesus comes back to fulfill the, uh, the ends of those promises and all the world will know that you are God. All the world will know that you are who you say you are and you do what you say you'll do. No catch, no, no caveat, no escape clause. We praise you for that, Lord. We, we, we love the fact that you're a God of truth and that you can be taken at your word. And so may learning stuff like this just make us worship you more. 
Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.